Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, so starting episode 39 of Developers Eating the World, and this time we're going to go into an area that I really like, um, but I know nothing about. So that's always kind of frightening. So we're going to talk about the blockchain and crypto and all that fun stuff, which we haven't covered yet uh, in Developers Eating the World. My guest is Philip. Philip, why don't you just do a quick intro of yourself? Uh, Yeah, sure. my name is Philip Lorenzo. I'm the technical writer and one of the developers on the dev team for the for XYO Network uh, Foundation, excuse me. And um, we are we are a foundation that was birthed from the formation of the XYO Network, and our parent company is XY, the persistent company. Funny, we reconnected, and I'm, I'm going to give the story of how. So, what happened? You posted? No, I posted something on LinkedIn. You yes. liked it. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> <laughs> the social currency. Decided to check in what you were doing. And I noticed you were at XYO and I've been a user. So I got the the fob for tracking my keys or whatever and um, downloaded the coin app and you know ha- had fun with the gamification of walking around and getting currency. And I've always been into crypto and, and the blockchain. Um, but the funny thing is I don't really understand it. Uh, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about. But before we go there, you know, we originally met when you were breaking into the whole world of development and cryptocurrency. Can you kind of tell me about your journey into development? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, well, I met you when I was in a boot camp, which was pretty experimental looking back. And it was called Learner's Guild. It's not around mm-hmm. anymore. I did get a good core foundation from it. But there was a lot of things that we had to do on our own. And I think that was part of the experiment. It was very self-driven. So what it, what happened was in Learner's Guild, there was a group of developers, learning developers, that wanted to get into blockchain. And they were really motivated to get into blockchain. So I don't want to name any names yet, but <laughs> there's a few guys and girls that uh, wanted to get into blockchain. So we, we formed what was called the Oakland Blockchain Developers. Nice. And I... I kind of came into it a little later because I was build, busy trying to just learn how to be a full stack developer. And so when I felt comfortable to get into the group, I did. I did a tutorial session for 60 developers in the Learners Guild uh, main hall. And it was for 60 developers. There was a CTO there and everything. And all I did was put up a view front end with a simple uh, DAP element where it just sent a word and retrieved a word over the blockchain. That's it. Over a test net too. It was not over a mainnet or anything like that. And that was like, people got excited. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm like, I just sent a word and got a word. Great. <laughs> so that kind of transition and excitement just led me to continue to try to work on it. And then I ended up uh, working for one startup that failed quickly, like really fast. And then XYO found me. 
So my kind of voyage, and then I, of course, uh, you know, doing blogging work with, uh, with Fixate and with uh, Sweet Code is amazing. So that also helped me learn as well. But that was my path. It was kind of, like I think about it, it was over the course of two years, but it felt fast. So I was like, okay, I, I did this tutorial, done a few things here. I got hired by one company, they died. I got hired by another company and everything was fine there, so. See, it's easier for me, I think, to learn a new language than to fully kind of understand the the blockchain. And I've dabbled in a lot of areas. So like on Coinbase, I, I've been doing staking a lot recently. Almost got taken by a, a company that started up called Staked Wallet. Uh, and I just found out they, they were fly by night and they stole like millions of dollars. And I try to keep current on this stuff, but it, it doesn't, I've done the crypto kitties thing. I'm trying to sell my kitties. It's not going so well. <laughs> I have five kitties. So if you're listening and you want to buy a crypto kitty, I got one. Um, but it's complex, man. So you you learn yes. to be a developer and this really kind of complex system. And I think it's complex both technically and conceptually. Um, you, I get the decentralized nature of it. That all makes sense. But if I were a developer and I either out of interest or I felt like I had a real use case, where the hell do I go to start? That's a great question. So I think the first thing you want to do is do research on the core blockchain you want to work on. And also, you you want to think about what your overall goal is for the solution. So the solution has to be fully decentralized and use a utility token and all that. Then you start thinking about Ethereum or EOS or something like that. And you do your research and you go into the actual websites and you start reading documentation and you start their intro tutorials. I think personally, Ethereum has done the best job of being welcoming to new developers in the space because there's Solidity documentation. There's Crypto Zombies, which is a great tutorial site. There are other resources and there's a deep community. There's Open Zeppelin. So Open Zeppelin, uh, an amazing group, They've developed a, a core suite of smart contracts that are, it's like a package right out of the box. So you don't even have to think about the low level contracts to write. All you have to think about is your main contract and then any other supplementary contracts and utilize theirs. So, in my personal opinion, I think Ethereum is the best place to go to if you're starting in the space because it gives you an idea of what a DAP is supposed to be because other blockchains may not be DAP based at all. And so, there are a lot of times it could be payment mechanisms or have some other utility that may not be familiar to you. And I think also that documentation does a good job of explaining core concepts of blockchain while not scaring you too much. To expand on that even more, I've, I've gotten a kick out of Coinbase's kind of training. They, they, they have some mm. training videos where you can go through the training and you get some currency. And what's been interesting about it for me is the number of currencies out there is tremendous. It's kind of shocking. And you have to ask yourself if you want to invest in them, how do you know which one's going to be around for the long haul? And I've been personally kind of basing it off of the description of the use case of the currency. Yeah, use case is so important, by the way. I, I can't stress that enough. Besides the gold, which is Bitcoin, the core ones, which are Ethereum. You know, XRP is still pretty popular. Ripple is still pretty popular. Uh, Stellar is great if you want to look at emerging economies and using cryptocurrency to develop those. Looking When you look at 
other coins you want to look at that use case? What is the use case of this product? What is it supposed to do? And I think that's a great place to research. Yeah, so the currency I've been really into, and I can't even pronounce it correctly, it's XTZ, Tezos. Okay, okay. And I think, like you said, the use case, the part that I enjoyed about it is, so they, they offer staking. So the owners of, um, well, shit, I don't even know the right terms. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> they, they have a methodology for, for voting on changes to the protocol. And I thought that that was really cool. Plus, they're one of the few currencies that offer staking, and that's you know relatively attractive from an investment perspective. Well, it's good that they have a, an idea of governance, right? Governance over contracts and also how changes to the protocol are made. As long as it's all transparent, I think that's the key. I think as long as the process of voting new standards to a particular protocol is transparent, and as because the idea of decentralization is transparency, you know, and even though not everything's transparent. I mean, we do want to have some kind of privacy and we do use encryption and all that, but you do want to have transparency as far as the history of transactions, what has been done and all that. And I, and I think that proof of stake now has either a reward or a punitive measure. So all of a sudden now, if I have a stake involved, then I have more incentive to be a good actor. Then I have more incentive to have a proper yeah, then I have more incentive to, right? So that's why proof of stake has become more popular. Ethereum 2.0 obviously is going to move to staking from what I understand. Bitcoin has its purpose, but I think that staking protocols are going to be definitely a way to go. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think the recent halving of the Bitcoin is uh, certainly calling people bringing people's attention to potential other currencies back to like development. And, and mm. there's so many cool creative applications. There's a few that I've had related to content creation. Well, what are, what are the things that you're working on today? Cause it's even more complex. It's one layer, even more <laughs> complex, which has to do with geolocation stuff. So XYL foundation is a core technology that is trying to utilize. It's essentially trying to interact with the real world and blockchain eventually that's the that's the goal of it it's like hey how can i prove something is where it says it is and then how can i actually write it to a ledger that's decentralized that other people can query and know that the information is dependable and so the xy foundation you can also look at our network site in the foundation site we still have this great explainer for the xy oracle network itself which includes our network components and so the network components we try to break it down as simple as possible what the geospatial location data certainty is supposed to be made of. And so we have a sentinel, which is this first point of contact. It is basically just crossing paths with other sentinels. And so it's a physical device. Now, you mentioned the fob earlier, right? Which yeah. was a sentinel. That's what it is. And so it could also be a smartphone. As long as it uses Bluetooth low energy, you can use a Sentinel. And it broadcasts a signal, and it has location primarily, but it could also have other heuristics or data, such mm -hmm. as time, such as temperature, etc. And then if it's near another Sentinel, and they broadcast that they're near each other, that's an interaction we're looking for. And so that is called the bound witness. And the bound witness is the primary core thing that needs to happen for this whole thing to work without bout witnesses without one sentinel which is presenting location with another sentinel presenting a similar location with etc cetera, etc cetera, 
without that, we can't have certainty. You're depending on multiple reports of something to coalesce together. And that's just consistency with a consensus idea. So for example, proof of stake is a consensus idea, right? Or uh, other blockchains are dependent on consensus. So what is the mission of the foundation? So the primary mission of the foundation, that's a fantastic question. And it's presented on our website, but it's really important from my end as a technical writer and someone who's communicating this beyond just the development work that I get to do. It facilitates education, research, and continued development of that protocol to increase understanding of the public benefit of an incentive-driven geospatial location network. And to break down that last sentence or that last part of the sentence, which is increase understanding of the public benefit. So the public benefit of incentive-driven location network, quite simply, is are you being truly incentivized for the location data you're providing? So when Google services, when Apple services uses your location, yes, you're given, you're given services, but there's some compromise you have to make, which is making your data available to advertisers, especially in the case of a Google service, for example. And so what is the true benefit that you're getting from using your location in a network? Because your location is going to be communicated regardless. The minute you, you, you turn on the smartphone for the first time and you enable location services to with Google Maps, da-da, that's it. You've just enabled your location data. And so what real direct public benefit do you have? What direct benefit do you have? And we're, we're, we look at incentive-based solutions, and we also look at other public benefit solutions. I think that's the whole point. We want to have a dependable geospatial location network, which is incentive-based that gets all people interested in contributing. And if we can get to that point, then we have found a really great way to communicate dependable data and everybody is incentivized and everybody's agreeing on it. And we also want to get to a point where the user feels that they're being properly incentivized for the data that they are presenting. You know, privacy is a big deal. And right now the conversations about using geo data for a lot of expanded like contact tracing and, and so forth has has come up. So I'm sure everybody sort of <laughs> sort of thinks about this. So it, so you have an initiative to to get people involved. And I'm assuming one of those audiences you're trying to reach are developers, right? You want them to correct a protocol into their what, mobile apps? Yeah. So ideally we want to get more developers involved in at, at the very core with mobile apps and just getting the bow witness protocol into their application. This does not necessitate you having to think about the blockchain part of a solution yet. You can technically uh, use the bow witness protocol to get the BLE devices to come to a consensus on a location and then just pass that off to a centralized server uh, to at least make it incremental without having to make it decentralized. Uh, we worked with the the Women's Institute in Baja, California, on a solution called Mujer Segura, which is an application that is meant to provide a proof of location track for women in peril. And so the idea is that they activate it and then bound witnesses start shaking up with other BLE local devices. And that's still an active development, but that's an example of an integration that does not have a blockchain endpoint in the service of helping a woman get out of danger. And that's not decentralized yet. And so we have an SDK guide for that, which kind of gives you a, a, a conceptual reading opportunity so you can understand the protocol. And then it goes into what the SDK can do, uh, which includes a scanning, uh, which includes a plug and play client server relationship, 
starting the bow witness and then sending the bow witnesses with a complete payload. Complete payload being, you know, the heuristics, the location, any other data that that sensor, that BLE sensor can gather and that you need for your solution. And that has been the primary focus of trying to get developers more involved in using this for mobile applications. We are shaping up our node core again, and that's more for bridging and for any web applications. But for now, we're really trying to keep people focused on the mobile side because the smartphone is the ultimate sentinel and bridge. And the benefit of joining the blockchain, is it the privacy that that you gain for the, the payloads and the bound witness relationships? If your solution needs it, if your solution needs for the bound witness protocol to start utilizing that archivist diviner relationship on a blockchain, the that's a case-by-case basis for that development team. That's a decision they're going to have to make, which is how do they want their data stored? And the blockchain presents a great opportunity for, for persistence of storage. In other words, if one server goes out in a blockchain, you have 20 others that have made a copy of it and that you're able to depend on, right, to draw information, to query information from. But it's ultimately up to the development team. I think, though, that for security, yes, I, 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 again, it goes back to the fact that blockchain, what it does so well is it creates so many points of interaction, especially for data, that you can't take it out. You can't, you can't DDoS <laughs> a blockchain. And then, of course, eventually, if you want to involve cryptocurrency, if you're excited about that and excited about using that as an incentive mechanism for different parts of your of your app or DAP solution, then of course, yeah, you want to start thinking about integration of, of a blockchain solution. We're still in an early stage in all this, by the way. I definitely want to encourage people that are getting into the blockchain, whether it's a development team or whether it is an individual person of interest, we're still super early in this because scalability is another issue that's going to come up. So again, blockchain right now, Transactions are speeding up, but they're still relatively slow compared to a centralized solution. And so you have to think about scalability as well. You can't just tell yourself, oh, okay, I'm going to do this blockchain thing, check it out. If your end user has to wait more than five minutes for a transaction, (laughs) that doesn't work. You know, it strikes me that there has to be a ton of AR, VR, and, you know, gaming applications of this, especially when games are serving up ads, but also have like in-game currency you know, all sorts of interesting things. Is the technology that you guys created, is it open source? It is open source. So here is our GitHub. This is where everything is open source. Each repository free to look at, free to interact with. If you're a developer listening right now, the best way to go ahead and contribute to the network uh, development is to go ahead and first create an issue and then do a pull request against an issue by forking one of the repos. If you are Android and Swift specific, I would encourage you just go to the XYO SDK and start there. The SDKs are going to be used for our ChangeMaker Challenge. And so we're really excited about that program because that is related to contact tracing and pandemic-related wellness solutions. Uh, So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on here and it's all open source. So yes, show us the Explorer and then explain, you know, what is the purpose of an Explorer to begin with? Right. So, okay. So in our case, 
if you think about the, the concept of Explorer, for example, in Ethereum, you have Etherscan, right? Which is etherscan.io, which is a blockchain explorer for the Ethereum network. And that will allow you to go in to see transactions, to see actual you know, converted ABI data with a hash, a transaction hash, and say, okay, some address sent some address money, right? So in this case, our Explore app is more based around geospatial location data as opposed to transactions. So this primary, when you go into the Explore app for the first time, if you don't have any devices on the XYO network, you can do a world map um, which allows you to see in with heat maps what bound witness activity is happening. And then you can kind of zoom in and kind of see how bound witness activity is happening. But there's also queries that you can make. And queries we have available down here, which uses GraphQL. But luckily, the only thing you need to do is enter this primary attribute, which you're looking for, whether it's hash, whether it's near, whether it's a recent. So if I go ahead, um, if I do a where query, right, and I enter a public key, and then I can, it, it'll tell me a location of where a particular node is. So if you know the public key of a Sentinel, of a bridge, of any of those devices, you can track at times when it bound witnessed. And then you can also look for other bound witnesses around the same area. So if you go through the Explore app, we're just having Sentinels interact. There is no temperature field right now. There is no pressure field right now. There is no other information because it's not specific to a use case. So with the Explore app, you're just trying to figure out, okay, how many bound witnesses are happening? How many are getting bridged, et cetera, right? So that I think is the more important part of the uh, of this explore, which is just to figure out if things are actually bound witnessing. So there is definitely a lot of fascinating information as far as how active the network is, gives us an idea of where use cases can actually be implemented. And just as a contrast to Etherscan, again, Etherscan, while it deals with not a heat map, it certainly is a state of the health of the network. It's just to say, hey, this is how many transactions are happening. The good and the bad of you know what you all are building is the amount of applications are seem tremendous, and and especially right now, I think the the types of things that could be built are are just amazing. But at the same time, it's really it's unlimited based on your creativity, but it's also limited because you know you, you have to be able to connect the dots between your amazing idea and execution. And I think that that's where uh, a lot of people fall short because the people with the amazing idea, and that's what's great about your challenge, may not be the people who can execute on it. They just kind of have a sense of, of the art of the possible, but don't know how to make it happen. You're speaking to something really like unspoken in a sense about blockchain, right? And about like actually working on networks is like, can I do this? Can I actually create the solution? Can I actually implement this complex uh, low level idea? And our job and our responsibility, and, my, and I'll take it as my responsibility is to try to make it as easy as possible. You know, and then again, you can measure easy <laughs> as a spectrum because say, okay, what do you mean by easy in what context, right? But we try to to we try to make it almost plug and play. 
I want to start a new node. I want to get some bio witnesses, node.build, and then put in your parameters, right? That's that's where we want to get to. And I think we're I think this recent SDK is pretty close to that. We're more than ready to support and more than we're ready to uh, provide help however we can. We want developers to work with us to make this a better a better protocol for everybody to freely use in their solution. All right. So now it's um, time for the, the game that I always play. And, and I have to confess this time I'm a little stumped because this is not a topic area that I cover um, a lot. But the first term I wanted to throw at you, I already mentioned CryptoKitties. Um, so I wanted to get your take on crypto assets. So if we think about assets, every block is supposed to contain either a reference thing or something, right? And so, for example, if we think about uh, IPFS, Interplanetary File System, uh, where it has a reference hash to more information, or if you have a reference hash to a given set of off-chain assets. With non-fungible tokens, you have something that can represent a, 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 a value to you. So, for example, CryptoKitties, is a crypto asset and it's an NFT. It's a non-fungible ERC721. The idea of that ERC721 or that uh, that non-fungible token is that it is a, a representation of a given asset value, right? You, it, we're, and we're presenting a new product, by the way, um, and we've done uh, an RFC for it called XYL World, which also talks about uh, geo-tile asset management in a sense. Uh, crypto assets can get really complex as far as what it represents to you and what it represents in value. Start off with just holding cryptocurrency itself and think of that as an asset, right? Think of that as a long-term hold asset. You're also used for baseball. I believe MLB has been using ERC-721s for baseball cards. And also there is smart assets, which um, the idea of crypto assets is definitely what you make of it, what is the value for you. To close out, I'd like to just get your take on what you think the next killer application of blockchain is going to be? I like to think us, for sure. <laughs> I think you know, we're definitely a killer use case. The killer use case is going to be one that's scalable. It's going to be one that I can I could use it like an app. If I could use a decentralized app solution like an app that has very quick scalability, that is easy to the touch and intuitive, for example, if you could do iMessage over crypto over a crypto network, or if you could do face chat messages, whatever, just think of any app that you currently use that you think, oh, this would be interesting over the blockchain. Emails, right? I mean, email storage through uh, crypto hashes that are full, you know, fully decentralized. You can't take down my email server, right? So I think my point is whether that's usable or not. I don't know. I don't know, but. Think about what you, what are you using right now on your device or what are you using right now on your computer that works really well, that's really fast, but that maybe could use elements of the blockchain protocol, that maybe could use uh, a more durable form of storage or more like you, you want to prevent censorship, you want to prevent uh, hacking, you want to, you know, you want to have certain security measures in place, then that's the next killer use case. I'll touch on this one last thing. Given everything that's happening now in the world with, uh, with the protests that's happening and, and, and thinking about communities of color, uh, one of the things I learned when I was in Oakland Blockchain Developers was communities of color really want to strive for having their own economy, 
at times because they feel like they're left out of the the the, the general economy. And so that could be a really killer use case. Community-based lending solutions, community-based financial solutions that are fully decentralized, that are community-driven, that is a killer use case. I think you actually give a really good tip uh, for people, which is, you know, maybe it's it's not a new use case. You're thinking backwards from, from you know, problems that you've already been trying to solve, and this is a new potentially new way to do that. Well, Philip, thanks. Thanks for joining me. I think um, I won't say that you fully cleared up blockchain or crypto (laughs) for me, but it certainly is useful and hopefully useful to the listeners to know kind of where to go and how to think about approaching the technologies.